This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Hi there, my lovely listeners. Welcome back to the Art Curious Podcast, where we explore the unexpected, slightly odd, and strangely wonderful in art history. If you've listened to our last couple of episodes, then you'll know that this season of the podcast is different. So instead of our usual spate of brand new episodes, I'm taking a little bit of time off to research a new book, which is very fun. So I am going to share some slightly new renditions of eight of my favorite segments from my audio course, Breaking Barriers, Women Artists of Renaissance Europe. Breaking Barriers is a 21-day course, meaning that you essentially get a mini-episode of Art Curious every day for three weeks straight. And you also get this unique opportunity to learn about some artists that you may have never heard of before. And if you're anything like me, these women are probably going to blow your mind and or become one of your next favorite artists. From Sophonisba Inguisola and Marietta Robusti to lesser known names. And this course will lead you through the lives and careers of these groundbreaking women who've made their marks on art history. This is an evergreen course that is all about learning for fun, so there are no tests, no papers, no quizzes. It's all content that you can access on your own time and learn at your own pace. You can register for this course and start learning today at avid.fm slash Jennifer. That's A-V-I-D dot F-M slash Jennifer. In the meantime, here is one of my favorite snippets from Breaking Barriers, all about the life and work of Diana Scultori, the engraver extraordinaire. Please enjoy. Diana Scultori is one of those artists who is known by several names. Diana Scultori, which is her proper last name because she was the daughter of the artist Giovanni Battista Scultori, who was a polymath working in painting, sculpture, and printmaking for the court of the Italian city of Mantua. And being as she was from the city of Mantua, it's also typical to see Diana being called Diana Mantuana, which is kind of like saying Leonardo da Vinci. Because, as I've noted ever since the very first episode of our podcast, essentially is a way of saying Leonardo of Vinci, which is why we normally refer to him as Leonardo in art history terms instead of calling him da Vinci. Now, all of this is to say that Diana Scultori, when called Diana Mantuana, just essentially means Diana the Mantuan lady in short. The gist here is that she was so famous both within her hometown and outside of it that there wouldn't necessarily have been a need to refer to Diana by her last name, that she was the Diana of Mantua, that even if there were many other Dianas, it was that she, the engraver, of whom someone would be speaking with when they were speaking about a Diana from Mantua. And that is pretty cool. But Diana Scultori isn't always called by her proper name, nor as Diana Mantuana. Throughout history, she's also sometimes been known by the moniker of Diana Gysi, as if this isn't already super confusing enough. Diana Gysi, though, does seem to have been a misnomer. 
Some researchers suggest that the appellation was an error that began with an early art historian named Johann Adam Bernhard Richter von Bartsch. That is a very long name, and we will just call him Bartsch for short. And Bartsch in the 18th century completed one of the first studies of the history of engravings, documenting many of the known printmakers and their superb prints that existed in Europe at that time. In his work, Bartsch referred to Diana and her father by the last name of Gysi, and this documentation apparently stuck. So, yeah, all of this is a bit confusing, to say the least. So you'll see Diana then listed under all three of these names. Diana Scultori, Diana Mantuana, and Diana Gysi. And to make it even more interesting, Diana herself would sign her own prints just like that, as Diana, a single name like Cher or Beyonce. So, yay! Lots of fun in the world of art attribution here. I bet you can hear the sarcasm in my voice. As we've come to expect from the majority of women artists in the Renaissance, Diana Scultori got her start at her father's side, along with her brother, Adamo Scultori, who studied with her in her father's studio. Diana Scultori, as I mentioned, was born in Mantua, but there is some speculation about her birth year. Most commonly, it's noted as being around 1547, but more recent scholars have pointed to works from the late 1530s that are signed by Diana, meaning that she was quite possibly born in the 1520s. So regardless of the year of her birth, we do know that though her father taught her most of the details of his trade, it's been said that Diana also did a lot of self-education, copying from drawings and engravings by other artists in order to learn how to make her own works of art. Now, by no means is this unusual, because studying and emulating the works of artists who came before is still a cornerstone for learning artistic techniques today. But what's cool about Diana Scultori is that this practice, this reproduction and print form of the works of other artists, is actually what Scultori would end up doing as her main life's work. This is the reason we know her today. Before we get into that, though, let's do a little primer on printmaking and especially its place in the world of Renaissance art. Printmaking in its earliest iterations is all about the reproduction or replication of a pre-existing work of art, though this isn't always the case. And it doesn't mean that it's a purely mechanical reproduction like a photocopy of an original work. Now, this can get a little confusing, and as a curator, I've often gotten this question in the past. What makes a print different from a copy, and can a copy be a print and vice versa? I know, believe me, even my head gets a little explosion-prone at this point. So let's just use one example as a way to mull through potentially what a print can be, at least in this case. So say that Raphael paints a picture. Raphael was trained as a painter. So in order to get his work disseminated to a wider audience, which would have benefits for marketing one's work, getting more commissions and renown and so forth, Raphael might need a printmaker to produce a print of his work, which would then allow it to be sent far and wide as a kind of promotion, as well as a potential collector's item or a work of art with its own value. The printmaker then would basically make a small drawing of the work of art in reverse, by the way onto a metal or stone slab, sometimes wood, and then that would be covered in ink and printed onto a surface like paper or fabric. When printed, the image would be reversed so that it matches the layout and design of the original. 
Hence the reason why the printmaker needs to work the design itself in reverse. All of this is a gross generalization, but what I don't want you to miss here is the extreme talent that one would need to be a printmaker. You need to be able to skillfully replicate the design of another artist, work on a much smaller scale with mathematical accuracy. And in order to correctly produce the print when it is stamped, you need to create your work as a mirror image of the original. To get this right is quite the feat. And remember that the print, too, is then its own original work of art in and of itself, one that can stand on its own even if it exists as one of a collection of multiples. There are many, many different techniques for printmaking out there, but for the most part, Diana Scultori created engravings, which, depending on the exact type of engravings here, is usually carving into a metal or a wooden or sometimes stone surface with a little tool called a burin which kind of acts like a pen or a stylus in this particular case. Since her father himself was an engraver, she learned directly from him, who himself had learned at the studio of the Roman artist Giulio Romano, who spent half of his life in Diana's hometown of Mantua. My earlier reference to Raphael in my example about printmakers was actually purposeful, because Giulio Romano was himself a pupil of Raphael. So Diana Scultori was only three degrees separated from Raphael, this Renaissance master. But it really seems like Romano had the greatest effect on the development of her artistic skills, though Diana never met him in person, as Romano died the year before she was born. It was Romano's work that Diana Scultori, like her father before her, had most frequently emulated and produced in her own engravings. Many of her most famous works of art are reproductions of pieces by Romano or his teacher, Raphael, like her take on Romano's image of the Virgin and Child with Archangels, which is an undated piece showcasing Mary and Jesus seated in these insanely bulbous clouds and being adored by the archangels below. Truly, I love these wonderful clouds of hers. So you've got to check them out by going to my website. I will have them reproduced there, artcuriouspodcast.com. When we come back, Diana Scultori is included in one of the most important roundups of Renaissance art, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Thank you for supporting our show by listening to our advertisers today. Hiring well means getting past preconceived ideas and recognizing top talent. How do you do it? You need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. Hate waiting? Indeed's U.S. data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. I love Indeed's many options for screening and assessments because Indeed helps star applicants shine before the interview with over 135 graded assessment tests that they can take from cooking to coding. These assessments can not only help you find out who will be most qualified for your position, but they can even give you a window into how candidates will be on the job. On average, applicants who scored proficient or higher on the reliability assessment were nearly eight times more likely to consistently attend work, according to U.S. Indeed data. So join over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Indeed knows when you're growing your own business, you have to make every dollar count. 
That's why with Indeed, you only pay for quality applications that match your must-have job requirements. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Visit indeed.com slash art to start hiring now. Just go to indeed.com slash art. Indeed.com slash art. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, listeners, I know that all of you are tuning into Art Curious today because you are lifelong learners, people who love to experience new things and gain new insights. And that's why I am thrilled to note that one of our sponsors today is Masterclass. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. You can learn about acting from Helen Mirren, improve your creativity with Jeff Koons, or learn photography from Annie Leibovitz. With over 150 classes from a range of world-class instructors in 11 different learning categories, that thing you've always wanted to do is closer than you think. I'm personally thrilled to learn about voice acting from Nancy Cartwright, the iconic voice of none other than Bart Simpson. If there's anyone who knows about carrying off character and story with verve and enthusiasm, it's got to be Nancy. And I can't wait to learn some tips from her on how to make my podcast reads more enjoyable for you and with better significance moving on. Plus, every class is broken down into manageable lessons all under 20 minutes, which means that I can learn from her on my own and whenever I want without taking a big chunk out of my time. There is something at Masterclass for everyone, so I highly recommend that you check them out. Get unlimited access to every class, and as an Art Curious listener, you can get 15% off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com slash artcurious now. That's masterclass.com slash artcurious for 15% off Masterclass. Welcome back to Art Curious. Diana Scultori not only created prints based on the works of Giulio Romano and Raphael, but she also made at least one engraving of an additional work by another Renaissance painter. None other than Giorgio Vasari himself. Drink if you are following along with our Vasari drinking game at home. Vasari, as I've noted ad nauseum at this point, was one of those first grandpas of art history as we know it. A painter who was himself one of the first artistic biographers and who is mostly remembered today for his somewhat flawed masterwork, a work called The Lives of the Most Excellent Painters, Sculptors, and Architects, where he profiled the lives and careers of everyone from Giotto and Leonardo to Michelangelo, and, yes, Sophonisba Anguissola, who was one of four women that Vasari included in his first edition of his book. But I think that Vasari was keenly appreciative of flattery, and was pleased when Diana Scultori created prints that were based on his works of art, because then he went ahead and included Scultori in his second edition of The Lives, his revised version, where he wrote of her, quote, She engraves so well that it is a thing to marvel at, and I who saw her, a very gentle and gracious girl, and her works, which are most beautiful, was struck with amazement, unquote. So even though Vasari was most likely influenced by his assumed appreciation by Diana, I don't think that it was solely flattery that was the cause for her inclusion. I don't think Diana was courting Vasari. I do think her work was worthy of inclusion in the first place, and that her take on Vasari's works was probably the latter artist's introduction to her work. From there, he was probably struck with amazement, as he writes, and then the rest is art history. 
Some art historians have noted that Diana Scultori's choice to reproduce the works of other artists wasn't just a savvy marketing choice, but one that actively hid any potential inadequacies. According to Emily Peters, who is a curator at the Rhode Island School of Design, even though Diana would have gotten a good education at the hands of her artist father, he probably wouldn't have trained her much in the way of life modeling, perspective, or the manners in which one could design their own work of art from scratch. Her brother probably would have been trained in this way, but Diana? It's entirely possible that she was not. Her education would really have been focused on the mechanics of engraving. But again, this was not necessarily a bad thing. In using a work from RISD's collection as an example, Emily Peters writes, quote, Diana's engravings follow carefully their source designs and reflect, to some extent, her lack of training in drawing. If the implementation of the scene is a bit stiff, keeping in mind that Diana had probably never sketched from a real human body, she negotiated the changes to the format with a great deal of skill, creating a balanced composition that is full of variety with a range of figural positions and gestures, unquote. Diana, then, made the most of what she got and what she was given, and also put herself in a unique position of not having to fight to make original commissions, opting instead to make a great living by printing the work of others. In 1575, when she was in her mid-twenties, or potentially later, depending on when her actual birth was, Diana Scultori married an architect named Francesco da Volterra, and the couple moved from Mantua to Rome, which by then was the most hopping place for Renaissance architecture. Rome, in the 1570s, was only a couple of decades removed from Michelangelo's commission to redesign St. Peter's Basilica and that Basilica's dome, though still incomplete at the time, was truly the talk of all Italian architects. Michelangelo's dome, by the way, would go on to become the tallest dome in the world, which is a record that it still holds today. So while Diana Scultori's husband aspired to work and create his own ambitious designs in the Eternal City, Diana determined that her work would best serve to further his career. It was a way to interpret his designs as engravings to help with distribution and, again, marketing for future commissions. But Diana not only engraved her husband's designs. She also promoted the works of a cadre of Roman artists, many of whom were associated with her husband and who worked to create paintings, murals, tapestries, and more for the buildings that he designed. All of this is well and good. But sometimes it's shocking to remember that Diana Scultori was doing all of this at a time when women weren't often allowed, yet alone were able to do very much outside of the home. So to be able to establish an art career in Rome and to make a name for herself as a sought-after engraver, she applied for something rather rare, a designation called papal privilege which she received, according to surviving documentation, in June of 1575. Receiving papal privilege under the aegis of Pope Gregory XIII essentially gave her a kind of special permission as a woman to set up shop as a printmaker, which provided her with a kind of license or document that not only allowed her to sell her works personally, but also protected her from the Renaissance equivalent of copyright infringement which would then favor Diana if there was ever the discovery of any unlicensed reproduction of her prints. Now, I call this excellent business sense. 
And indeed, it seems that Diana was lauded far and wide for her savviness. This savviness also extended back to her hometown, which again, she sometimes referred to by calling herself on occasion as Diana Mantuana. Even while living and working alongside her husband in Rome, she produced and dedicated her works to many of the rulers of Mantua, especially the Duchess of Mantua, Eleonora. In this way, she smartly sought and received commissions from both major cities. Thank you for supporting our show by listening to our advertisers today. I am a pretty hard worker, but sometimes my own mind gets in the way. I just start thinking about something else and I get distracted or I ruminate upon something that is not helpful in that moment. And what I need in those cases is something to listen to, something that'll snap me out of that moment so I can get back to focusing on what really matters. And I found that meditation really helps with this. Recently, I discovered Water and Nature Sounds from Meditation for Women, one of the podcasts that's all about promoting better sleep, greater well-being, and better focus. I like this particular one-hour podcast because it's immersive sound only. So not only can I use it as a stress-busting background while I'm trying to get work done, but it is also a gentle and very peaceful way to fall asleep at night. So how easy is this? I just queue up an episode or two on my podcast app, and voila, I am asleep in no time. I found that there's a soundscape for everyone. There's gentle rainstorms and chirping crickets, ocean waves, soft billowing winds, and forest sounds, and much more. And I bet that you'll find the right nature sounds for you. So go follow Water and Nature Sounds Meditations for Women right now, wherever you listen to your podcasts, and start listening for free today. Just search Water and Nature Sounds Meditation for Women on your favorite podcast app and follow today. If you're anything like me, you have tons of photos on your phone that you'd love to display or pictures from vacations that would make beautiful artwork or gifts. But taking the time to print and frame and just hang them seems overwhelming and time-consuming. But I've got a great solution for you. With canvasprints.com, you can easily turn your photos into beautiful prints perfect for every room of your home or office and anyone on your gift list. Canvasprints.com offers the highest quality canvas prints at affordable prices, and it is so easy to use. Just upload your image, choose your canvas size, and check out. You can even add a floating frame, as I did to my print, for a beautiful finishing touch. The only limit is truly your imagination. And if you're not into canvas, no worries, because canvasprints.com also offers metal prints, poster prints, photo tiles, photo gifts, and so much more. I am especially looking forward to making my own Christmas ornaments this year for my family and ordering some new Art Curious stickers, both of which are coming to canvasprints.com very soon. Right now, canvasprints.com has a special offer just for our listeners. Go to their website, canvasprints.com, and use code ARTCURIOUS25 to get 25% off your entire order of canvas prints, canvas wall displays, metal prints, photo tiles, photo blankets, pillows, and so much more. So why not start and finish your holiday shopping early with this amazing offer? That's canvasprints.com and use promo code ARTCURIOUS25 for 25% off your entire order. Welcome back to Art Curious. Not much is known about Diana Scultori in the latter part of her life. 
she seems to have made her last print, or at least her last surviving print, around 1588, which was a scene of the entombment of Christ made after a relatively minor Roman painter. And we don't know why she stopped working. It could have been for any number of reasons, and some sources note that she did give birth to a son named Giovanni Battista in 1578, though I actually have not been able to fully confirm this. But motherhood did often stop women's careers from proceeding much further, so it's a possibility, though the 1588 date of her last known engraving does speak to her having continued for at least a decade into her son's life, if all of this was accurate. We do know that her husband, Francesco da Volterra, died in or around 1594. And two years later, Diana married again to another architect. This one, 20 years her junior, which is kind of cool. But after that, the specifics of her life just kind of disappear. After her death in Rome in April of 1612, though, her engraving plates continued to be used. And so her images continued to be made and spread throughout Europe even after her death. That's one of the great things, and complicated things, about printmaking. But here, it allowed Diana Scultori not only to forge a great career for herself, but also provides her with an incredible afterlife. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Art Curious today, and I hope you enjoyed learning about Diana Scultori as much as I did. As I mentioned in the top of the show, it would mean so much to me if you would consider registering for my course, Breaking Barriers, Women Artists of Renaissance Europe. It is on sale right now, 21 days, learn at your own time and on your own pace, and it is fun, I promise. So again, that's Breaking Barriers, Women Artists of Renaissance Europe, available now at avid.fm jennifer. I'll be back to you again in two weeks to share another story from Breaking Barriers. And I can't thank you enough for supporting me while I research my next project. You are an awesome audience, and I'm so appreciative. So stick with me, and I will see you soon. Stay curious.